I wanted to start, we're coming from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. If you guys remember, I told you a couple weeks ago, we are going to be in Matthew a lot this coming year in 2023. And so we continue uh, this morning, continuing through chapter 5. And um, I wanted to tell a story real quick to help us um, kind of frame where we're going this morning. Because in, in life, in general, it's pretty, um, I think it's pretty... Uh, expedient, it's pretty convenient if we can develop not only routines, but we can develop ways of moving in the world that we can just switch on to like autopilot, right? Um, it's very helpful if you can just do things regardless of how you feel about it. For example, going to the gym, right? My wife and I, we were big gym rats before we had kids, since having kids, we're not, right? Simple as that. <laughs> And, uh, but we both looked at each other and said, we really want to figure this out. And so what we'll do is five in the morning, she goes, she gets back six in the morning, I go. And, um, and sometimes it's really hard because the kids don't sleep quite as well, but we've been, we've been doing pretty well. And um, I would not tell this story if my mom was here or if I knew she was watching at home because she would kill it. She still does not know this. I am not kidding. Do not tell my mom this story. I, the story's funny, but I'm dead serious about this part because she would be very angry. But just an idea about going into, turning into, you know, um, um, just autopilot. In order to make it to the gym at that early, I have to be an autopilot, right? I have to get up. I have to, I literally get up. I splash some water on my face. I put on whatever is closest, and I just head out the door. Well, one uh, morning... I did my routine, I got up, I, there was some clothes in the pile on my floor, I threw it on, I splashed water on my face, I hopped in the truck, and I left. And I'm at the gym, I'm warming up on the bike, and I get a text from Nicole, from my wife, saying, uh, I'll be home in 10 minutes. We were both at the gym and had left our kids at home, asleep. And so... <laughs> Do not tell my mom this story. Dewey, Dewey, do not tell my mom this story. It's not a joke, okay? Um, and so Nicole goes, she goes, well, didn't you notice my car wasn't there? I said, I don't notice anything. Because when I get up, I have to be an autopilot in order to get to the gym. I can't notice anything. And so... When we make the connection between this and our Christian lives, sometimes it's convenient for us to live our Christian lives on autopilot, right? To just go about doing the things that we've considered or that we've decided are the right things to do without really considering our hearts behind them, our motivations or anything else, right? Is it just me? Sometimes it's easier to just open the Bible and read stuff and say, I, wrote, I read it because I was told I need to have daily devotions, right? Those types of things. We're going to talk today about what it means to not necessarily just have right actions, but to have right hearts behind those actions. My kiss. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pat. If you hadn't heard or seen this morning, they're fine. They're fine. Okay. It, it, it didn't, they, they didn't wake up. Actually, by the time I read the text, Nicole was already home, actually. So I was so focused, I didn't even catch the text. But she was already home. They're fine. Also, if you don't mind, do not tell the authorities either. <laughs> a, couple, a couple of them are here already. Uh, Carlos, Castillo, they're fine. All right? Thank you, guys. 
All right. So, um, and so the main idea, what I want us to walk away with from this sermon this morning is that faithfully following Jesus involves our hearts as well as our hands, okay? And that's just a way of saying it involves the deeper parts of us, our desires, as well as our actions, amen? So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. If you're wondering, I know, I know a lot of you guys probably wondered why I didn't say anything about the jersey. Uh, we like the Eagles, not a big deal, Super Bowl, whatever, uh, you know, those millionaires are going to be fine whether they lose or win. They're going to be great, okay? Uh, we'll watch the game, we'll enjoy it, and move on. All right, but I'm, you know. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 37. Uh, I'll read and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 21, it says, you have heard it, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gifts. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear by an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you um, so much for your mercy and your grace to bring us together this morning. I thank you for our pastor being able to get away with his family and get some rest. And Lord, I pray that indeed you would be with them I pray that in your mercy, you are causing their time together to truly be restful and connecting and just awesome. Lord, keep them safe and bring them safely back home to us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Thank you for being present as we worshiped in song. Lord, thank you for the grace to be able to pour ourselves out to you and thank you for pouring yourselves out to and in us. Lord, I pray that, Father, in the, in the preaching of your word this morning, that through Holy Spirit, you would grant me clarity, 
and conviction and communication. And ultimately, Lord God, you would cause your word to be effective and accomplish in every heart and mind exactly what you've sent your word for to accomplish this morning. May we be changed. May we be encouraged. Lord, I pray that in your mercy, we would be saved. I give you the honor, the glory, and the praise because indeed you are worthy, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so friends, um, last week uh, we ended that passage with Jesus telling, um, Jesus dealing with the Old Testament uh, when he declared that he did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. He made it clear with a lot of emphasis that the Old Testament laws will never be abolished. They'll never be done away with until everything in them was accomplished. And he also reiterated that the laws needed to be kept, right? Not, not, not previously, but even currently, they need to be kept, saying that if anyone chooses not to keep them, to keep them or teaches anyone else to do the same, they would be least in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus meant likely by saying they were least was that they would not be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus says something pretty interesting and he is somewhat out of the blue. After saying all of this about the Old Testament laws, he looks at his disciples and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, then you too will not be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is interesting because as far as the Jews of this day were concerned, no one was better at keeping the law than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees as a school, as a group of people, they were purposed. They were created for the purpose of calling the Jews back to remembrance and to keeping of the Old Testament laws. So you have to imagine that the disciples, when they heard Jesus say that unless your righteousness in terms of keeping these laws exceeds that of those who are purposed with keeping the laws, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You have to imagine that they felt pretty hopeless. They felt like, well, how in the world can we be better at the people who do this for a living? They're the pros at this. Well, this leads to our passage today where Jesus gives several statements that begin with, you heard it said. He'll say, you heard it said. And, and he said, you heard it said from people of old. And the, the original language is actually a little funny because it can literally be translated as, you heard it said by the old people, right? Kind of like we will say today, we'll say as the old folks used to say, right? So essentially, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said that the old folks used to say. However, when Jesus says this, he's referring to the Old Testament laws, which were written by who? Who wrote the laws? Say it loud. Moses. Mo, who said it? Good job, girl. Moses. A man who was, by the time Jesus came around, was ancient, long time dead. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, you read where it was written. 
he says, but you heard that it was said. So what Moses wrote isn't something that they would have heard said from those of old, but rather something that was said was written by those of old. Are you following what I'm saying? So who is saying these things about what was written? Who's saying these things about what was written? It makes me think that Jesus is talking about the way that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law taught the law. What they said about the law. And so that what, was, what had been heard is not what was written, but what was said by these religious leaders about what was written. And what was taught by these religious leaders obviously fell short of what God intended to communicate through his laws. To put it the way Jesus put it, the Pharisees were actually teaching people to set aside the laws of God through their assumptions that the laws were more about carefully doing every little bit of what was said, even adding a little bit more to what was required without any consideration for the heart behind the keeping and the following of the laws. Essentially, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law assumed that all was, that was needed to obey God was mere behavior modification mere conforming with your actions to what God uh, was, saying, was asking for in the law. And so when Jesus says, you heard it said, but I tell you, he was redeeming the essence of the law and communicating to his disciples what the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, where he wrote, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from people, but from God. Should I switch to the handheld? Because, um, huh? It's the same? Okay. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that being a child of God is not just about having right actions, but it's about having a right heart, the proper heart, the proper desire behind the right actions. So that when Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I tell you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you are guilty of murder already, he is reframing the misconception that it's okay to animosity in your heart for people just as long as you don't do any physical or bodily harm to them. Right? Friends, I feel like something is disconnecting us, so I want everyone to say amen real quick. Amen. Say amen. amen. Praise be unto God. I think that sound, because it's bothering me as well, um, and some other things. So what I want us to do right now is not allow the enemy to cause us to miss what God is saying. So right now, determine in your mind that you're going to block out that humming thing. Amen. Determine you're going to block out that reverberation where it feels like my voice is hitting me in the face right now. Okay. And we're going to try and lock into what Jesus is saying here in his word. Amen. 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 So that when Jesus says, you heard it said that you should not murder, 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother or sister is already guilty of murder. He is reframing this misconception that it's okay to harbor animosity or anger in your heart for someone so long as you don't act on that anger, so long as you don't commit any physical or bodily harm. And he goes on even further for those who assume that mere words are not as bad as physically harming someone. What's the old saying? Sticks and stones may, but words will never hurt me. They may not hurt you, but according to Jesus, they just might send you to hell. And that sounds painful. He says that calling someone stupid or worthless is just as bad as murdering them. Friends, hear this. A bad heart leads to bad words and to bad actions. So he tells them, he says, if you're standing before God seeking to offer a sacrifice, and what Jesus is talking about is while Jesus was still here, the temple was still standing. And so people could still offer sacrifices. And so his Jewish disciples would have understood this sacrifice that he was talking about, typically sacrifices for sin offering, right? And he says, while you're standing at the altar to give your sacrifice, and there you remember that someone has something against you, he says, leave your, your gift there at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Now, there's a couple things I want us to keep in mind. I want us to acknowledge here. The first thing is this. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, if you're at the altar and there, remember that you have done something against your brother. He says, if you realize that your brother has something against you. And it seems a lot easier for us to consider when we have done something wrong to someone, right? That seems like it's on us. I've done something. But if someone got something against us, we feel like that's their problem. But Jesus heightens it to say that, no, if you're mindful of the fact that someone got something against you, the onus is on you to go and be reconciled to them. Friends, this is not worldly forgiveness. This is not cheap <laughs> reconciliation. God is heightening this thing. He seeks more for his people. Recently, I had a situation. This is not a part of the sermon. This is free. You've gotten a lot of free stuff today, so count yourselves very, very privileged this morning. Recently, I had a situation with um, uh, someone I've known my entire life um, and someone I've loved my entire life. Not, um, I was going to say not my wife, but you guys know I haven't known her my entire life, so that works. But um, And this person uh, just just cut me off cut me off and, and uh, blocked me from their phone and, and legitimately had no reason, had no idea why. No, hadn't, could not think what was wrong. Well, eventually I was able to connect with the person and they were able to admit that they were admittedly hurt by something I had not done and were able to acknowledge that I had not done it, but because they felt hurt, by what they felt, they were just hurt and cut me off from their life. I'm going to tell you this. As a pastor, as a human, I put my foot in my mouth a lot. 
I hurt people, I make mistakes, all that stuff, and I try my best to be quick to, to ask for forgiveness. This was one time where I gotta be honest, there was zero motivation to be reconciled. Zero, because it was hard for me to realize how in the world do you be reconciled to someone who's mad at you for literally nothing. And against all that was in me, I worked really hard to try and reach out and reconnect with that person and relationship is rebuilding. Friends, I want you to know I really wanted to just be done with this person. That's not an option for the people of God. That's not an option for us. Now, I want you to hear me. Attempts at reconciliation may fail. Attempts at reconciliation may fail. But the fact that they may fail is not an excuse to not try. As children of God, we are called to do everything that we can to live peaceably with others. And I want us to see the second thing that actually is lost on, on us in this particular story that Jesus tells is, when you came to offer your sacrifice at the temple, right, which they would have understood Jesus was talking about, you typically had to travel really long distances. And so when he said, leave your gift there, and go and be reconciled, Jesus was telling them to go a great distance to be reconciled. Jesus was telling them, go as far a distance as you need to go. Do whatever it is you have to do to be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Friends, the call of the Christ follower is that we go great distances to be reconciled to others. Because our relationship with God is closely related to our relationship with others. I know I'm all over the place, Julie. I'm sorry, <laughs> she shook her head like, yeah. <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm all over the place. But we're gonna jump down to this slide. When we are not truly good with God, then we are not truly good with others. I mean, excuse me, if we are not, we are not truly good with God if we are not truly good with others. And if you assume that your relationship with God is unbroken when your relationship with others remains broken, you are fooling yourself. Again, again, I'm not saying that all your attempts would be successful, but there needs to be legit attempts at reconciliation. Well, then Jesus goes on to speak about adultery, and he says, you heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say, if you lust after someone who is not your spouse, literally, if you look at them and desire to be with them sexually, you have committed adultery already in your heart. And what's so interesting about when Jesus says these things, he speaks in no uncertain terms. He's clearly speaking to the men. Right? He's clearly speaking to the men because he understood that in this culture, men took their masculinity, their manhood, as an opportunity to just treat women any way. I don't know if you guys know this, but in the ancient world, Jesus is the first person to deal with the issue of the male gaze. You're not going to find any other ancient literature with someone pointing out the male gaze, the heart behind the ungodly treatment of women. But I also want to clarify that this does not let women off the hook. 
okay? He's talking to all of us. He's talking to all of us. And then he goes, out, he goes on to talk about plucking out the eyes and cutting off the limbs in order to avoid sexual impurity. And the reality is, if you've ever wrestled with passages like this one, you're left thinking, Jesus, your standards are impossible. They are impossible. And you may have heard that the reason Jesus says these high and impossible things about these commandments is because he wants us to be driven to his righteousness, right? He wants us to acknowledge that we cannot do it and only he can do it. And the reality is there is some truth to that. None of us have or can or will ever keep his rules perfectly, regardless of how, how much he heightens them or not heightens them. We will always struggle against sins and we will from time to time fall into sins, brothers and sisters, as long as we are in these fleshly bodies. We will struggle. The perfect, sinless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is our only means of right standing with God. But with all of that said, let me ask you guys this question. Does Jesus then mean that it's okay for us to harbor anger and animosity in our hearts because he is our righteousness and we can never live up to the standard. Is Jesus so sure that we can't avoid the issues of the heart that he only says these things to make it painfully uh, clear to us? If this is what you believed, and I heard many of you give the right answers, if this is what you have believed, can I challenge you to consider that maybe Jesus does intend for us to have hearts that please him? And maybe he does intend for us to have actions that please him. But here's the thing, not without his help. Not without his help. Yes, the standards are high but he offers us the help to meet them. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 says it this way. I, God speaking, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart, I will remove from them a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus can require faithfulness from our hearts because Jesus gives us new hearts with which to be faithful. And this verse points to another thing that Jesus does for us. Not only does Jesus grant us new hearts, but Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to actually live out the desires of our new hearts. So brothers and sisters, if we find that we lack both desiring and living out godliness, then we should pray for the Holy Spirit. We should pray for the Holy Spirit. And friends, this prayer is not arbitrary. You may hear this prayer and, and you know, your, your, your Pentecostal siren may be going off or the P Pentecostal bells may be going off and it's exciting. There it is, you're excited about it. But friends, the prayer for more of the Holy Spirit is a very practical means of our growth in godliness. It's a very practical means 
of our growth in godliness. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let me ask you a question this morning, friends. Could it be that we lack godly desire and godly action because we lack the Holy Spirit? Could it be that we need more of him in our lives? Jesus says here that we should ask God to give us more of him because he has promised to give him to those who ask. And with his help, we can indeed have holy hearts, that's godly desire, as well as holy hands. That's godly action. Amen? Friends, as we turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to see here a means for our help. Jesus has promised to meet us in these very ordinary sacraments. I mean, the very ordinary means of our sacraments. This gluten-free cracker, this grape juice. In a very mysterious way, okay, are his body and his blood for us. And every time we come to this table, we are coming to him. We are taking of him. And this morning, I want us to come asking that he would grant us more of him that we may have the heart